Well, if you would this morning, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles, the 7th chapter, beginning with verse 11. And as you turn, it is indeed a privilege to be before you once again. And it's good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Gather with the saints. To look out and observe what God is doing. He is building his kingdom for his purposes through broken people such as ourselves. We can't help but say thank you, God, for using us to get his will accomplished. Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse 11. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord. And in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father, walked, doing according to all that I commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David, your father, saying you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you in this house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. This morning, I'd like to put a tag on the text, healing in the land. Healing in the land. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is indeed a privilege and honor to come before you again on this Lord's day. It is a privilege to stand before your exalted throne, for worthy are you to receive glory and honor and praise. Lord, you are above all. You are creator and sustainer. 
And Father, as we have gathered together now to lift up your name and to hear a word from you, dear God, we ask that you will indeed have your way. Have your way in the service to do as you please. May you transform hearts and minds. May you break strongholds and break wheels, anything that is cast up against you, dear God, we ask that you will destroy it right now in the name of Jesus. We ask, oh God, that you will move mightily in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, that you will open ears and open eyes, that you will give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, those who are in need of a word from on high. But most of all, dear God, May you cultivate within us a heart of repentance. A heart that yearns to do your bidding and your will. A heart that yearns to seek your face and to see you glorified and exalted. Lord, this day we ask that you be exalted. Father, please hide me as I am behind this holy desk. That you may speak. That you may speak a word from this broken vessel. May I only serve up what you have been cooking and and preparing for such a time as this for your people. Father, we ask that you will be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, a lot of times we need not only healing in our land, but healing in our relationships. Even myself, just a, a few weeks ago, as I was in Michigan, I found myself in need of healing in one of my relationships. As I went to Michigan to teach at a conference at a French church, in preparations to head out from Romulus to, to Pontiac, which is about 45 minutes away, and getting everything together and prepared, I was having a conversation with my wife, and I said, honey... Uh, we need to leave here at 3 o'clock so we can make sure we get there at time because the conference, I, I need to be there at 5, but the conference starts at 6. So that morning as we were staying over my, my, my parents' house, uh, my wife had a few errands that she needed to run, so she, she ran out quickly, but she came back at 12, 1 o'clock-ish. Uh, but she had one more errand to run. So she left the house and I'm, I'm kind of reading and studying and, 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 and getting prepared for the conference that evening. And I look at the clock, and it's, it's like 2 o'clock and 2.30 and 2.45. Uh, I didn't tell her I was going to tell you all this story. It's about, about 3 o'clock. So 3 o'clock comes, and I'm, okay, well, I'm just going to, she'll be here. As I waited a little longer, 3.30 rolls around, 4 o'clock. So on the inside, I'm like, man, this is, this is a big deal to me. This is a big conference. I need to be there on time, or he ain't never going to ask me to come back because I'm late the first day. So as I begin to boil on the inside, my wife, she, 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 she arrives back, and we begin to gather everything and, 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 and rush to pack all the things and to try to load up the van once again. And as we're doing that, then my then my father wants to stop and talk as we're on the way out the house. Um, I'm going to give my father honor. And so I stop and talk. And then as we go, 
my sister had came and picked up my son, so we had to stop by my sister's house to pick up my son. So we pick him up, and we're finally on our way, and at this time, it's rush hour in Detroit, Michigan. We headed down the highway. I'm uh, pretty much doing a speed limit, right? Yeah, speed limit, right, honey? Yeah. Most of the time, I was doing the speed limit. But there was an eerie silence between my wife and I. I didn't say anything. I didn't express my displeasure. I didn't express any frustration. I didn't say anything. But you know what? That was the problem. I didn't say anything. And as we rushed down the highway, we made it to the hotel at 5, like 59. And I just told everyone, just stay in the car. I ran out, checked in, and I... uh, Threw on the shirt. It it was wrinkled. I I just threw it on, came back down, and we we peeled out, and we headed to the church. Made it to the church at 6.15. Class for the youth started at 6.20. So by God's grace, we made it just in time. But as I exited the vehicle, I really didn't say, bye, y'all take care. Do you need anything? I'm out the door. Gave my wife the keys. I didn't even ask her if she knew how to get back to the hotel. And as I entered into the room to teach, I began uh, speaking to the co-facilitator. But my mind was drawn to my wife. I greatly appreciate my wife so much because she does this thing that I love. Well... I love it, but then it it, it gets me. She leads me to the Lord. That means she doesn't have to say anything. She leads me to the Lord, knowing that God is going to get me. And as I prepared to teach this class, God began to, to press upon me my sinfulness in that situation. And my need to reconcile a relationship, to make things right. So as I began to prepare to teach, my mind and my heart was turned towards my need for repentance towards my wife. Not that that our relationship was broken. She didn't go out and divorce me because I left the car like that. But yet there was something that was friction in the relationship now. I needed to go back and do something, but by God's grace, because he's good and faithful, taught that night, and I came in, and the first thing I said to my wife is, honey, I was so sinful today. I was was sinfully angry. Would you please forgive me? And being a loving wife she is, of course, she forgave me. Gave her a hug and kiss. But you know what? Until I reached the point where I was hum- I, I humbled myself before my wife and repented to her and to God, sin would have put a strain on our relationship. Sin would have, had, would have begun building a wall around my heart, brick by brick, with the intentions of turning my affections away from her. 
See, what sin does, it, it slowly devours you from the inside and, and it slowly devours relationships until there's nothing left. To relationships become brittle and easily broken. Sin is able to overpower us in and of ourselves, for we are weak and feeble at our best. But God. But God says if we would only repent from our sin and turn toward him, he would break the shackles of wickedness in our lives and restore our relationships. And this is exactly what this text is talking about this morning, to remind the people that no matter how far in sin they were, no matter the places that sin had taken them, deliverance was theirs through repentance. Restoration was possible. Healing was available in the land. So looking at this particular text, there's, there's two angles that we need to look at it today because of the uniqueness of this book. The first angle, we want to look at the particular situation. Here you have God speaking to Solomon directly, this intimate relationship. And what God is actually doing, he is answering a prayer that Solomon gave upon the temple's dedication some 13 years earlier. See, that's a sermon in itself. Some 13 years earlier, God knew when he was coming. Sometimes we just got to keep praying and keep pushing and keep believing because God knows when he's coming. So we hold on and trust him. So, So some 13 years later, God is answering Solomon because at the prayer of dedication for the temple, this beautiful, magnificent temple was built as the dwelling place of God amongst those in Israel. And at this service, he, he offered up to God a prayer and was asking specific things. When your people, God, when your people, when they turn and, and when they rage against you, and when they do certain things, would you still receive us back to you? He had prayed this prayer so This scene at the temple represents the very place where God would dwell amongst his people, that that covenant relationship. That's what the temple meant to Israel. God living amongst us. God with us. And all we needed to do was go to the temple to make things right before God. Go to the temple because why? That's where he says he had placed his name. So that's the first context, but the second context It's specific to Chronicles because the chronicler has written this book for the specific purpose of pointing a broken people back to God. See, at the time of the writing of this book, the chronicler, they are back from exile. They are back in the land. They are trying to rebuild and trying to make things right. And here you have a, a broken down people in need of a word from God. At this point in history, Israel knows how destructive rebellion towards God is. They have been conquered by the Babylonians and exiled from the promised land. And taking an honest evaluation of their present situation, they're back in the land, but they're still suffering from the lingering effects of sin in their lives. The lingering effects of captivity. Though the temple could be rebuilt, though the walls could be repaired, If healing in the land was to take place, the Israelites needed restoration. They needed healing in their land. So the chronicler points the people back to a time when the people were right before God. 
healing in the land would come when the people returned wholeheartedly to God. In the text this morning, the chronicler reflects upon God's blueprint for wholeness. Healing comes when the presence of sin is recognized. Healing comes when authentic repentance is offered. Healing comes when spiritual restoration is supplied. Before any type of healing will take place, the presence of sin is recognized. Verse 13, as God speaks to Solomon, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people. As the Israelites read the scripture, I'm sure they were, they were reminded of their history. And they were reminded of the, of the times of famine. They, they were reminded of the times of pestilence and, and the time of locusts and the, the time of disease and the time of destruction. They would look at this text and be reminded of all those times devastation occurred. I'm sure when they thought about this text, they, they remembered the stories of how things were and what they went through and where they were presently. See, but ultimately, when they read this text, they would be reminded of the reality of their sin. For when God is speaking about a lack of rain and destructive locusts and plagues in the land, it's, it's not, yes, there was famine. Yes, there was pestilence. Yes, there was locusts. But when God is talking to them and he's saying, when I shut up the heavens because of this, he's saying, when you have fallen into sin. Because what is happening before them is the physical symptoms of a spiritual problem. What was happening before them was the result of them turning their hearts from God, seeking other gods, and, and, and thinking of themselves primarily. They were not yielding their, their lives to the one who had placed his name on the temple no longer. In Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, you'll see at the beginning of the chapter, there's a section of blessings. And, and on the other half, there's a section of cursing. So, so when they, they see that text, they, they, they go back to Deuteronomy because in the blessing section, God is saying, if you follow me, if you follow my commandments, if you follow my precepts, I will do this and I will do this and I will bless you. But then on the other half of the text, it says, but if you do not follow me, if you do not listen, if you do not heed, I will do this. God was training them and teaching them that obedience brings blessing, but disobedience brings pain. What would happen in the physical was a direct result of what was taking place in the spiritual. Let's, let's look at that some more. Because when you get sick, how do you really know why you're sick? You may begin to have a runny nose and your throat may get a little sore and you may begin to cough. And from them symptoms, you can deduce that I probably have a cold. So in my case, moving down here to allergy capital of the world, in my case, when my nose began to pour out and I began to sneeze and and I, all of a sudden I have a headache and I have chills and 
and, and my body's just out of whack, those are symptoms that lets me know that I have a sinus infection. Now, I could drink some hot tea, and I could put an ice pack on my head to keep the fever down. I could take some pain medicine to make me feel better. But when I do those things, all I'm doing is taking care of symptoms of a deeper issue. If I really want to treat my sinus infection, I need to go to the doctor and get some antibiotics to knock the infection out. So when things in the physical are taking place in my body, they're they're usually the result of something happening within. And and when when famine will come upon the land and, and destruction will enter in, those were the physical, the outward manifestations of their sinful hearts. Sure, during famine, they can build an irrigation system. And, and when a locust came, maybe they could develop some bug spray. But those were only treating the symptoms. Their problem was sin in the land. The cure for their physical torment would be spiritual deliverance from indwelling sin. They needed to root out that which was causing the problem. Be not surprised when when sinners find themselves entangled by sin. Be not surprised when we, we, we find ourselves being led away from God because of sin in our heart. Be not surprised when we find our way hard because we have left God's hand. Now understand this. Most, I say most, not not all the time. (laughs) Not all the time, but, but most of the time, our problems really come because of our sin. It's not because of the people on the job, it's, It's not because of our husband. It's not because of situations or circumstances, but it is our sinful heart that is causing the way to be hard for us. When our life becomes unduly hard, that should be an indicator. Let me me step back and examine what's really going on in my life and evaluate, is there sin in my life? Am I causing more issues? Am I causing more pain? Am I I really the one causing more drama in my life? Am I really destroying everything that I work so hard for because of my disobedience? So we can't be surprised when Sinners are entangled by sin. We're sinners. The chronicler says, he he doesn't write, if God shuts up the heavens, if God commands the locusts, if pestilence, the text says, when, pointing out that sin would be ever present within them and within us. See, when when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in, in in, in the Garden of Eden, their, their nature was transformed from one that was in complete harmony with God to one that hated God. It was, it's almost like a, a, a non-human, a dehumanized nature because now their nature would 
chase after and pursue that which will fulfill their appetite and not that which is pleasing to God. So their very nature became enslaved to the bondage of sin. And we, like the Israelites, need to realize how deep the flow of sin is within us, how how pervasive sin is within us, because sin leads us away from the Lord, not towards him. Hmm. The Bible teaches us that there is no area in our lives that has not been affected by sin. I like like what Solomon says in the the sixth chapter of Chronicles, verse 36. He he begins his prayer, and it's like he had to catch himself for a second. In verse 36, he says, if they sin against you, they're like, hold up. For there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to, to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, realizes himself that we are sinners and we sin. My mind has been infected by sin. All the things that I do, I am quick to make excuses why I do them. I'm quick to make excuses of why I cuss them out. I'm quick to make excuses why I'm late for my job. I'm quick to make excuses why I ain't do my homework or why I'm in church texting or why I can do what I want to do. I'm quick to make excuses because my mind has become my own defense attorney because my mind has been saturated by sin. We call these blind spots in the Christian world. We all have blind spots, those areas that that we defend. We, we, We have these habits, these hobbies that we go at that become our idols, but we defend them. Well, I just need some exercise, and I, I just need some time to myself, and I just, I just having a bad day, or that's just how I am. No, it's, it's sin. My feelings have been affected by sin. We see this in the day and age where there's no such thing as guilt or shame anymore. I go to Facebook, well, one, I don't have Facebook, but I hear what's on Facebook. And I know, I know folks ain't got no shame. Because our feelings have been suppressed to the point where I just do whatever I want to do, no restraint. No issues. So what? You don't like me. This is who I am. But God says, no, that is sin. That's why you are that way. That's why you behave that way. That's why you put that post up and and that's why you put that status up. It's not it's not because you you think you're sweet or or you got a, a, a new catchy line. It's because of the sin that is in our hearts. My will has been infected by sin. My will, what I want to do. This this is why we struggle with praying and reading the Bible or even loving God so much. Because our will does not even want God. It is infected with sin. It is dirty, it is stank, and it hates God. That's why it's a struggle getting up Sunday mornings to get to Sunday school. You done told yourself four weeks back that you'll make it to Sunday school next week. But when we wake up, our will is saying, nah, just go ahead and sleep in. 
Nope, I don't need, I don't need to pray. I don't need to thank God for this day. I'm just going to get up and go about my business because my will doesn't want God. In Romans, the third chapter, beginning with verse 10, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. The mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What God shows us through the scriptures is that once we allow sin to get a foothold in our life, it begins to build those bricks around our heart, and then we get a hard heart. And can't nobody tell us anything. Uh, uh, I would say a lot of our children are like this. We can't tell them nothing. But a lot of our grown-ups are like this, too. We can't tell them nothing because sin has got a foothold in their hearts and has been building bricks around their heart where can't nobody tell them anything because of sin's reign. But if you're a believer, what happens is you have a hard heart, but God's going to have to break that up. So he sends in a, a, a heinous, an, an invasion into the land. He takes away that job. He breaks down your car. He makes the bills come up. He makes the money come up short this month. He makes sure you know everybody's talking about you. Don't you, whatever you put your hand to, all of a sudden, nothing will prosper. Because of the hardness of your heart. And then God finally, these are saints. Finally, God will finally get you to the place where he's broken down the walls. Because he done beat you up. I mean, he took you to the woodshed. Took you back to the woodshed and woe you out. But then now, because you had that broken, you had that hard heart, now you got to deal with all the losses that you've incurred. You've blown a marriage now. You've blown a job now. You, you, You have a horrible relationship with your children now. All this, this collateral damage because of a hard heart. God is showing us. We have to pull back the veil and look in the mirror and really see that we're capable of every and all sin. We have to recognize just how low we are, just how weak. Just how feeble, just how, how broken. We have to be transparent with ourselves sometimes and understand that sin reigns. Until Israel recognized just how broken they were before God, they wouldn't recognize their need for a Savior. Until we recognize how broken we are, we will not turn from what the Apostle Paul calls this body of death. And that, that's the issue. We see ourselves better than what we really are. 
So we don't turn because we don't think we need a savior. It's difficult to teach somebody who who just got a brand new job and making money that they should be saving that money. Because they think that money's always going to be there. So they get a check, blow a check. Get a check, blow a check. Get a check, and blow a check. And then one day, that check ain't coming. But them, still, them bills still got to be paid. And you understand just how this really works. I, I thought I was good, but I really wasn't. Matter of fact, I thought I was good, but I was creating more debt for myself on this side. See, when you're in sin, you, you think you're good, but you're actually creating more debt for yourself because the word says, for the wrath of God is being stored up for those who are against them. The presence of sin within each of our lives is what separates us from God. Healing comes when the presence of sin is recognized. But God, though sin creates an impassable barrier between God and Israel, we see in the text that God is willing to uh, to reconcile with sinners when authentic repentance is offered. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. See, when you, when you read thir- verse 13 the right way, do you have a better appreciation for verse 14? When you read verse 13, it says, I'm a broken down fool who has nothing to offer God. So when he says, I will forgive them, it means something now. And it's not just, oh, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. He died on the cross. Whoop-de-doo. Yes, I believe that. Now get me baptized. No, it's, I'm so broken. I'm in such a need. I, I, I don't deserve anything from God, but yet he still, he still is willing to accept me. The chronicler has taken his time to remind Israel of their brokenness, their sinfulness. But what's so wonderful about our God, see the chronicler, he doesn't leave them in a hopeless condition. But he points them back to the promises of God. As God, in in the midst of answering Solomon's prayer, he gave Israel a blueprint for authentic repentance. When I say authentic repentance, that is repentance with a right attitude. And he lays it out for us right here in the text. And, And first he says, he says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. First, they needed to come before God humbly. Low, knowing they don't deserve this. They're, they're coming, they're coming not, not thinking that they had something actually to offer up to God, but they're coming with empty hands knowing that they have nothing to give God. Leviticus 
The 26th chapter, verses 40 through 42 says, But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land and their enemies, if, if then their uncircumcised heart is humble and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. And I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. He will remember the, that, that relationship. To come to humbly before God means to subdue one's pride and submit in self-denying loyalty to God and his will. What does that look like? That is actually coming to God, knowing you're guilty. When I talk to people at home, you know, sometimes they, they bring up the first 48. Now, if you watch the first 48, you know Louisville will be on there sometimes. So they, they usually ask me about Louisville. I'm like, I said, no, nah. I said, they, you know, they just magnifying the issue. But, uh, but a lot of times what I appreciate about, about the first 48, sometimes, sometimes they get that person. They don't call red-handed. All the, the witnesses are pointing to them. All the evidence is pointing to them. And they sit at that table. You know, they begin to sweat. And they sit there sweating. But then they say, you know what? I did it. I'm guilty. They don't say, well, I was with such and such, and, and they helped me do this, and, and then, well, they did this to me, and that's why I did that. I'm guilty. So when the text says we got to come before God humbly, we come before God, and you know what we say? I'm guilty. I can't blame it on my wife. I can't, I can't blame it on my children. I can't, I can't blame it on my job. I, I can't put the blame anywhere else. The buck stops here. I'm guilty. Humbly. Humbly before God. Not, not saying, well, you know, my, my teacher really don't like me. That's why I don't get good grades. No. I don't study. And I stay up all night. That's why I get bad grades. I love you. I love y'all. I love my youth. Not only did they need humility, but they also needed to pray. They also needed to pray. In Psalm 51, David points this out. And he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Prayer is a shameless acknowledgement of personal sin and a plea for God's mercy. This is coming to God after you said, yes, you're guilty, sin, and your law is just. Confession where you are agreeing with God about how he feels about the sin. I don't come to God 
acting as if I don't know what's really going on. Or saying, now, now God, I, I, I know you really don't like this whole sleeping around thing, but really, is it, is it really that bad? Do I, do I really need papers on her before we can, come on, God, but because you said so, then I'm, I'm going to try to stop. Confession is agreeing with God. God, I understand that above all things that you desire to be glorified and honored. And I'm not glorifying or honoring my sisters in the way by stealing their purity before you. Father, forgive me for my wickedness and my sin, for, for doing heinous things against my, bro- my sisters in Christ. Father, have your way. I'm confessing. I'm agreeing with God about how he feels about the sin, not what the world thinks about the sin. If repentance was to be authentic, the Israelites also needed to seek God. Seek God. In Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, 29th verse, it says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God. This, this, is, after, this is when they've been taken into captivity. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation, And all these things come upon you in the latter days. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. This is seeking in in desperation, knowing that God is the only possible hope for deliverance. Being in in sin and knowing only God can get me out of this. I I, I, I can't pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Because God standing before you, I ain't even got boots. I need you to get me out of this. It's a song that we sing that I love to sing because it illustrates this so poignantly. When we sing, all I have is Christ. It's saying, Lord, you're all I got. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love display. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands can never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only boast is you seeking after God. A heart that knows apart from him, you have no hope. You own nothing. But lastly, genuine repentance includes turning from sin. In Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, beginning with verse 30, it says, Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity 
be your ruin. Turning signifies a complete change of direction away from sin and toward God. It's a, it's a change of direction, but the word of God teaches us that there is a, 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 a wide gate, a, a wide road that leads to the path of destruction. But then there's a narrow gate that leads to life. So, so it's, like, it's like a path, and, and you're headed down this gate to destruction. But repentance is saying, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm going to turn and go towards the narrow gate, and, and, and I'm going to... I'm going to consistently and faithfully walk this way. Though I may fall and go a little bit this this way, I'm always going more this way. When God is angry, when God is angry, the only way out is to turn to that same God for forgiveness. And these activities of humbling and praying, seeking and turning, these should be seen as as, as four aspects of one action. Because flowing from the stream of authentic re- repentance is dependence. I depend on God. Would Israel depend on their heritage, their intellect, or their skill in order to be right before God? When you made your profession of faith, What did your repentance look like? Did you come offering yourself toward God? Lord, use my ransom life in any way you choose. Will you humbly repent today and depend on the Lord? Because healing comes when authentic repentance is offered. But also, building upon sin's recognition and authentic repentance, the, the, the chronicler, he lays down the foundation for what they needed the most. And what they needed the most was spiritual restoration supply. Verses 14. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. God calls the people before the temple for restoration because that's where his name is. God graciously establishes this this process of repentance, not for their material gain, not to see what they can get out of it, but for communion with God, for he is the greatest treasure of all. Spiritual restoration was not based on what Israel could do, but on what God supplies. So when, so when we think about restoration, it's not what you bring to the table. It's what he has already. Because it says, God now hears their words. Fellowship is restored. God forgives their sins. Now, innocence is restored. God brings healing on their land. Life is restored. Not creating our own destiny, but God breaking in on our lives. He just breaks in, and he restores us because we can't. I like what the ESV study Bible says on this text. It says, heal their land includes deliverance from drought and pestilence, as well as the return of exiles to their rightful home. For the chronicler, this includes the restoration of the people to their right relationship with God. 
Spiritual restoration is all about God looking upon his people with compassion and intervening and doing something about it. You, you know, in Hebrews 9, the 27th chapter, it says, it's appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. And you know, at that judgment, the question is not going to be, what were you able to do on your own? What job did you have? What were you able to accomplish? The question would be, did you have a right relationship with God? And the author here has a great concern for the, relation, the relational condition of his people with God. The concern is not about having their possessions restored or, or the temple rebuilt, but being right before the Lord. I have, friend, I have friends in Michigan who, who run a summer camp, a, a, a fantastic family, and I remember one year getting the call that their house had caught on fire. And as I got follow-up reports, it, it was told that everything that they had was lost in this fire. However, everyone made it out safely. And some time later, they had invited us over basically for like a housewarming because they were able to rebuild their home with the insurance. And seeing that family in that new house, it, it, really, it really reminded me and brought clarity to the fact of what's really most important. What's really, what do we consider most important? Do we consider those pictures? Those bank account numbers? Our clothes? Those shoes? It, 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 it might hurt to lose them, but what's really most important if you ain't there to enjoy them? The priority was their family had made it safely out. And when it comes to spiritual restoration, when, yes, God will bless us if we're faithful, but the, the primary thing is, do we have a right relationship before God? That is the primary issue at hand. Are we living in a way that is pleasing? Are we presently living in a right relationship with God? Or are we counting on the work of previous generations? Are we counting on Big Mama now? Are we counting on uh, our uncles that was a deacon? Are, are we counting on our family name? Are we counting on the Lord in order that we may be right before God? Healing comes when spiritual restoration is supplied. Healing in the land would be, would be a difficult process. But it was a tried and true process because it came from the very mouth of God. How comforting these words would be to those captives who have come back to turmoil and ruin. Healing will come when the presence of sin is recognized. Healing will come when authentic repentance is offered. Healing will come when spiritual restoration is supplied. Because sin was ever present, Israel would need to cultivate a lifestyle of repentance. Their hope would be in the promises of God. And as we reflect upon these truths this morning, while the hope of Israel was found at the temple, the hope we now have is found at the cross. Whereas Israel, as the Israelites looked to the temple to find their covenant with God, 
sealed with the blood of lambs and goats. We look to Calvary's cross to find the new covenant of God sealed with the blood of Jesus. We see before us in this text, we, what do we see here? I see, uh, I see the acknowledgement of sin. I see uh, the need for repentance. Uh, I see uh, God able to, to restore and grant salvation. Well, well, godly me, that must be the gospel. And that's what we have right here. God foreshadowing the gospel of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Who atoned for the sins of all who will believe. Salvation through Jesus Christ comes to the one who recognizes the presence of sin in their life. Causing them to run to the foot of the cross in authentic repentance, leading to spiritual restoration accomplished by the finished work of Jesus, who was raised from the grave. When I am in Christ, I'm I'm saved from the penalty of sin. I'm saved from the power of sin. And when I get to glory, I will be saved from the very presence of sin because of the work of Jesus Christ. The hope that we have in Jesus is greater than that of the temple. Greater because his sacrifice was once and for all for sin. We don't have to keep going back to the temple. We don't have to keep getting our lambs and goats. and We don't have to keep making an offering. Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished. Jesus lived a life that no one could live and died the death that no one could bear. When God looks upon the life of a person who, whose life is hidden in him because they have repented of their sin and trusted Jesus alone for salvation, God sees that person as one who has obeyed perfectly. They receive blessings. And just like those returning from exile, we too need healing in our land. Just like those returning from exile to broken walls and a torn up temple, we too find ourselves in the midst of broken walls and torn down temples. And just like the chronicler, I, I come this morning pointing you to a time in history. But I'm not pointing us to the temple in Jerusalem. I come pointing us to the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ. For I has, we used to sing this song. At last and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight, and now that, that present praise, and, and now I am happy all the day. May we, may we, Forrest, I'm begging that we would take this morning to evaluate our present relationship with God and respond by cultivating a lifestyle of repentance 
before him. We need to repent. We need to repent for anger, for lust, for gossip, for backbiting, for, for whatever harm we, we need to repent. It needs to, the bug needs to stop right here this morning. Because when repentance is in the land, healing is there. And where healing is, restoration is there. And where restoration is, harmony is there. Are you enslaved to sin today? There's an old phrase I I like to repeat often, and it says that sin will take you further than where you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. We're dibbling and dabbling in sin, all the while in danger of our affections being turned from God and a hard heart being built before the king of the universe. This morning you have a choice. You can repent before this awesome creator of the universe. You can repent and turn and trust him alone for salvation. Or you can keep on running. You can keep on running from those hands of God But on Judgment Day, the question will be asked, do you have a right relationship before God? The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. In Ephesians, it says that through his blood, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. If we come before him, Humbly, in prayer, turning from my sin and seeking him, God will heal the land. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for who you are, for being the creator and sustainer of all things. And we thank you for this word. Father, there's so much hope in the the word that you have given us, that though, yes, we are sinners, And yes, we stand accused, and yes, we stand broken. We can agree with that fact, but then we can point to Jesus Christ and say, but he has paid it all. He has paid my debt. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we thank you that the fact that he stands right now interceding on our behalf, And Lord, we are so grateful that one day he's coming back to rule and reign his kingdom in a land of no more, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering and no more strife, no more ill and no more iniquity because he will rule. So we say thank you, God, that we serve such a wonderful king. Father, may your word go out and accomplish exactly what you have decreed that it would do today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.